struggle with condemnation every time you blow it with your kids? Are you constantly beating yourself up as a mom for things you've said or done? Do you wish you could stop dwelling on every little mistake, let go of guilt, and just enjoy being a mom? Then we're so glad you're joining us for today's episode. I'm your host, Katie Morgan, and welcome to Parenting with Ginger Hubbard. Ginger is the best-selling author of Don't Make Me Count to Three, Wise Words for Moms, and I Can't Believe You Just Said That. She speaks at women's events, parenting conferences, and homeschool conventions across the country. You can check out her parenting resources and find out when she's speaking in or near your area at gingerhubbard.com. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help support our ministry, one way you can do that is by purchasing Ginger's resources directly from her website instead of other online retailers. And stay tuned until the end of this episode to receive a discount code on your purchase at gingerhubbard.com. Another great way to support our ministry is by helping us get the word out about our show. You can do that by leaving a rating or a review wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much for your support, listeners. This enables us to further our mission to help parents reach the hearts of their children for the glory of God. I don't know about you, but I just love waking up in the morning, curling up in my comfy chair with a warm cup of coffee and reading the daily news. Did you just tense up? Because I did. Honestly, I sense myself wanting to avoid the news at all costs and shield my children from it as well. But what if there was a better way to be informed without being disheartened? Well, that's exactly what I love about the world and everything in it. This podcast from World News Group is my favorite source for current events because I can get sound journalism from a Christian worldview without the hysteria, the chaos, and the stress. As one of Apple Podcasts' top 100 news programs, they deliver essential headlines, field reporting, interviews, and expert analysis every weekday. Search for The World and Everything in It wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Ginger, you have been writing and speaking on the topic of biblical parenting for, man, decades now, over 20 (laughs) years. Well, yeah, I guess that is true. (laughs) Well, all of your books and resources exist to help parents reach the hearts of their children for the glory of God, except for one resource. You wrote a book called Guiltless Living, Confessions of a Serial Sinner Captured by the Grace of God. What compelled you to step away from parenting and to write a book about overcoming guilt? Well, for most of my growing up years, I really struggled with being a people pleaser. I wanted to be a good daughter, a good sister. I wanted to be a good friend. I wanted to be a good everything. And since it's impossible to please all people at all times, guilt was a regular battle for me. Then when I became a Christian at 18 years old, I wanted to be a good Christian. I wanted to please God in every way. So I set out to live a sinless life. And that lasted about a minute, (laughs) if that long. And it seemed uh, the more I tried to please God, the more I blew it in one way or another, and the more defeated and depressed I became. I'd read, of course, like all new Christians, uh, Romans 3.23, that we are all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. I'd read that uh, about God's forgiveness and atonement and um, how that has absolutely nothing to do with good works and everything to do with the atoning work of Christ. And I believed all of that, but I wasn't really experiencing the reality of it. So every time I messed up, I had this tendency to beat myself up and struggle with condemnation. Then I had kids and the battle continued. 
I wanted to be the best mom I could be. But because I fell short in that area as well, I was plagued with guilt um, just way too often. Maybe I was impatient with the kids one day, or maybe I raised my voice and spoke harshly. Maybe I wasn't taking time to faithfully train and instruct them the way that I should, or wasn't praying for them enough, or uh, maybe I was so wrapped up in my own agenda and to-do list that I neglected to spend time just talking and, and being and playing with my kids. I lived in a constant state of guilt that I wasn't enough. But then God began to show me that there is no power in my own attempts to be a good mom or a good Christian or a good anything else. I could determine to never be impatient or selfish or controlling with my kids, but without the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through me, I simply could not achieve that perfect level of righteous living. So I began to realize that the battle over sin could not be won by sheer willpower or by teeth-gritting determination, but by tucking myself underneath the full armor of God and trusting that God is not only fighting for me, but He's already won the battle. So, Katie, to answer your question, I wrote the book because overcoming guilt by learning to live in the grace of God was not only something I wanted for myself, but for others who have that same struggle. For every woman who feels frustrated, defeated, tired, and depressed from trying to be a good mom or even just trying to be a good Christian— And I want to say up front that I have not fully taken hold of walking in grace instead of condemnation myself. It's still a thorn in my side, a struggle for me. I've written a book and Bible study on this topic, not as an expert or as one who has arrived, but as someone who is still on the journey of learning and growing. And I wanted to come alongside other women on this same journey who are looking to embrace the acceptance and freedom we have in Jesus. You know, Ginger, I think it's easy for us to base our worth on our own successes and failures as moms. But here is something really helpful I read lately, and it came from the place where all good theology comes from, Instagram. <laughs> it's my favorite. I'm just teasing, obviously. Uh, but I, I found this to be so helpful. It said, it's not a parent's responsibility to make sure we have godly children. It's a parent's responsibility to make sure their children have godly parents. Hmm. And that really just helps put the focus where it ought to be, not on changing our kids' hearts, but by just relying on the Lord to change ours and letting that overflow to our kids. Um, But when we feel guilt that our children aren't behaving the way our friends' kids do, or they aren't following hard after the Lord in the way we most desire, we can rest in the fact that it is not our job to change their hearts. Uh, But that being said, One of the greatest tools the enemy uses to discourage us as parents is in comparison. So, Ginger, why do you believe the comparison trap is such a dangerous one in our role as Christian parents? Comparing ourselves to other parents, whether favorably or unfavorably, will lead us to a false sense of self-worth. And if we want to make unfavorable comparisons, who better to make us feel guilty than the woman talked about in Proverbs 31? Now, granted, there are some who believe this chapter refers more to a personification of wisdom rather than one particular ideal woman. But either way, I've always been one to reach for the stars. So as a young mom, I remember comparing myself to this miraculous Proverbs 31 superwoman one particular morning, which was a huge mistake (laughs) because not one thing was in my favor. In fact, my heart sank a little lower with every verse I read. 
She had gotten up before daybreak while it was still dark. I had rolled out of bed that morning around 8.30-ish. <laughs> she was well-dressed in fine linen and purple. I was in a baggy terry cloth robe with my hair pulled up in a chip clip. She held the distaff while grasping the spindle. I'm not even sure what those things are, but they definitely <laughs> were not what I was holding and grasping. I was more inclined to be holding my unaccomplished to-do list from the day before and maybe grasping the stopped-up dustbuster. <laughs> She was providing good food for her family and was always on top of things. And I was offering a choice of Burger King and McDonald's and felt the weight and frustration of everything I was not doing well. So in comparison, I didn't measure up and it left me feeling guilty. But here's what we have to understand. In measuring our self-worth in accordance with our own performances as moms, we not only struggle with guilt, but we miss out on experiencing the peace and rest of who we truly are in Christ. Our worth is not based on what we do or don't do for our children. Mm. It's not based on our own successes or failures as mom. It's not even based on whether we sin a little or sin a lot in our parenting. Our worth is based solely on Jesus and the atoning work he has done on our behalf. Our identity is in Christ. Embracing this wonderful truth brings about freedom. It's the freedom to forget about ourselves and lay down our measuring rods of self-worth and ongoing scrutiny and take hold of God's grace given to us through the cross. Well, I've heard women make statements such as, or I've heard people in general, but um, we're talking about women and moms today, but we hear people say things like, well, I've given that area of my life to God, or I'm surrendering this part of my life to the Lordship of Christ. And Ginger, I hadn't thought about this before, but how can that be a dangerous mentality for us as moms? That mentality causes trouble because it implies that our lives are to be parceled out like tracts of real estate to mm. give to God as we see fit. God doesn't want areas of our lives. He wants our lives. So if we take apart these statements to evaluate what's really being said, we find that they're based on efforts from the natural self, which leads to the dangerous and slippery slope of self-reliance. For example, let's say that Becky has been smoking cigarettes since she was 16. Now she's pregnant and her doctor says she needs to stop smoking for the baby. Becky is convicted. She knows that to continue smoking would be selfish and harmful to her baby. So she wants to be the best mom she can be. So as soon as she leaves the doctor's office, she vows to give her cigarettes to God. But just two days later, she secretly slips out to the garage and lights one up. Becky now feels like a failure as a mom. But God doesn't love Becky less because she slipped and took back what she gave to God. On the flip side, let's say that Lydia is an alcoholic, and for the first several years of her daughter's life, her drinking has affected her parenting in negative ways. Lydia is convicted. She wants to be the best mom she can be, so she vows to give her drinking to God. And she's victorious. Lydia just celebrated a successful year of abstinence. Now she feels she meets one more qualification toward being a good mom. But God doesn't love Lydia more now than he did a year ago when she was still struggling. It's the same with a mom who feels defeated and guilty based on her sinful behavior versus the mom who feels victorious and prideful based on her righteous behavior. 
Monica feels defeated and guilty because she yelled at her child for disobeying this morning. As a result, her little one responded with tears of sadness from a broken heart or maybe rebellious words from an angry heart. Monica is now beating herself up and struggling with condemnation. Meanwhile, her next-door neighbor, Supermom Sally, is feeling victorious and prideful because she grabbed her wise words for mom's chart and patiently reminded her child of what God's word says about children obeying their parents. As a result, her little one responded with respect and obedience. Supermom Sally is now patting herself on the back and struggling with pride. I see what you did there with uh, throwing in the wise words for mom's chart, Ginger. That was clever. <laughs> <laughs> I know, shameless plug. <laughs> but the point is that condemnation is just as dishonoring to the Lord as pride. Mm. Both are a form of works-based self-reliance. Jesus has overcome condemnation for those who belong to him and who rightly respond to conviction by repenting and receiving his forgiveness in full. Our obedience is not our righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness. He is our source and our strength that enables us to walk in his righteousness and that covers us when we don't. The victory and glory belong to him and to him alone. Now, certainly, there are consequences for sin and rewards for good work, both of which often affect those around us for good or bad, including our children. But our sins and good works are not what define us. We're told in Isaiah 64, 6, that all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So the point I'm making with the scenarios I just gave is this. Good works do not win us favor with God. And the sins that trip us up do not remove us from his favor. The more we understand the fullness of his grace, the more we're able to rest in Jesus and the work that he has done on our behalf. We overcome guilt and condemnation through the work of Christ, and we give God glory for the power of Christ that's working in us and through us to do good works. Have your kids ever come to you with math homework and asked for your help? only for you to realize you did a mathematical brain dump the day you graduated high school? Well, I have great news for you, parents. Whether you're homeschooling or helping your kids with their math homework after school, CTC Math is an invaluable resource. They have video tutorials and summaries that are concise and really engaging while still fully covering the subject matter. It's like having your own personal math tutor accessible at any time. I have so many favorite things about CTC Math, but just to name a few, I get extensive reports and summaries of my kids' progress. We have access to CTC Math's entire catalog of lessons, not just per grade level, as many online math programs do. And finally, there is a 365-day money-back guarantee, literally no questions asked. If you or your kids need some extra help with math, go to ctcmath.com and sign up for a free trial. Again, that's ctcmath.com. So just to recap, what you're saying is that trying to be the perfect mom and then either beating ourselves up when we blow it or puffing up with pride when we get it right is like self-atonement. Yes, essentially. That's, yep, that's exactly right. When we rely on our own efforts as moms, our successes and failures become the measuring stick of our worth. And that flies in the face of God's grace. Mm -hmm. To try and live a perfect and sinless life in our own strength is to be self-reliant rather than Christ-reliant, which is dangerous territory. It leads to measurements in pride in the natural self. But the natural self should not be the starting point of our faith. The new life begins 
with dying to the natural self and burying our own attempts at perfection and righteousness, whether we view them as failed attempts, which tend to leave us feeling defeated, or successful attempts, which tend to leave us feeling prideful. That's not what matters. What matters is that we let go of the natural self completely and take hold of the new self, which is empowered through the death and resurrection of Christ. So the question is not, how can I be a more perfect mom who lives a righteous life? The question is, how can I live more fully in Christ so that his righteousness comes forth in my life? God has given us commands for parenting our children perfectly, but we simply aren't capable of perfectly keeping those commands. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All meaning every mom and every dad. Well, Ginger, even if we as parents were able to do it perfectly, our children would not respond perfectly to our parenting. So, you know, measuring our worth as parents based on their performance um, is a really slippery slope there. That's right. That's true. And so, you know, in light of that verse that all have sinned and fall short of of the glory of God, does that mean that we should just throw up our hands in guilt-ridden defeat and just accept that we will never stop sinning and blowing it? Well, yes and no. It is true that no matter how hard we try, we cannot overcome our sinful status. However, the good news is that while we are sinners, we are found guiltless because we are covered by the grace of God. The sooner we face the reality of our depravity, the sooner we accept God's atonement for that depravity and enter into the freedom of guiltless living. The finality of the cross atoned for all of our sinful mistakes, for all of the times we blow it, past, present, and future. When we live in Jesus, we live in his atonement that overcomes guilt. We live where the power of Christ's work at Calvary is greater than condemnation. Guiltless living is experienced through accepting God's forgiveness through the atoning work of Jesus. We confess, we repent, we receive forgiveness, which includes forgiving ourselves. Sometimes that is the hardest part. Then we let go as water under the bridge. Something else that helps us overcome mom guilt is to accept that we are humans with limitations. I love that while Jesus was fully God, he was also fully man during his time on earth. And he experienced all the same temptations that we experience, which includes human limitations. Philippians 2 verses 6 and 7 say that Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus had all power and all authority as being fully God, but he also embraced his limitations as being fully human. Scripture says that Jesus needed sleep, he needed to eat, and he needed time alone. There are accounts where he had to work through his emotions. He also didn't personally minister to everyone. He didn't heal everyone, and he wasn't everywhere at once. Mm. Jesus set an example of embracing human limitations, and so should we. We will not ever be, no matter how hard we try, the perfect parent. We will blow it sometimes, perhaps many, many times, and let our children down. But those moments are wonderful opportunities to point them to Jesus by helping them understand that He is God and we are not. We are not perfect in all our ways, but He is, and He will never let them down. I find it so interesting that this is the direction 
you went with this episode, Ginger, because Brian and I are currently in a book discussion group with our church, and we're reading a book called You're Only Human by Kelly Kopic. I don't know how to say his last name, um, and Kelly is a man. Um, but I'm only about halfway through the book. But the gist of it so far is that our humanity, or as he says, our finitude, is not inherently sinful. It's by design. The fact that we are limited in what we can do. Uh, the fact that I require sleep and food and physical touch and friendship, that is 100% by God's design and is meant to drive me closer to him and to others because we live in community and we are meant to live in community. Um, I want to read an excerpt from that book that really spoke to me as I was going through it. Recognizing and rejoicing in our particular kind of finitude is a massive challenge, especially in the affluent driven West. This shows up not just in our unrealistic expectations about how much we can accomplish in a day, but also in our failure to value rest and slow-growing relationships. This problem takes many forms, from inappropriate expectations placed on our children to dehumanizing practices in the workforce. Christians often burn out from overcommitment to church activities or ministries, or they go to the opposite extreme, never volunteering for anything because they fear the unending demands that will come once they have committed. Too often, the options are either to try to do everything or to simply do nothing. Hmm. Now, I see a lot of myself in mm, that paragraph. Me too. me too. So I was anxious to get to the part where he offered a solution. And here's what he said. We need to stop asking or feeling that we should ask for God's forgiveness when we can't do everything. And we need to ask forgiveness for ever imagining we could. And I just love that. I love that too, Katie. Let's definitely have Heather put a link to that book in the show notes. Yes, absolutely. So Ginger, when we talk about moms having guilt about times when they have blown it, uh, there are some things we need to consider. One, if the guilt is coming from conviction, which comes from God, or two, if the guilt comes from condemnation, which comes from the enemy. So how can we know the difference between the two? Conviction involves unconfessed sin that has not been absolved through the forgiveness of Christ. It stems from rebellion against God and God's loving desire to bring atonement and freedom to his children. Mm -hmm. Conviction is something we should embrace because it prompts us to confess and repent of sins against God and when necessary to make things right with others. Condemnation involves confessed sin that has been absolved through forgiveness in Christ. It stems from a disbelief that Jesus is who he says he is and has done all that he said he would do. Condemnation is when we fail to forgive ourselves. It's a lie from the enemy who is known in the Bible as the accuser, by the way. The accuser uses guilt to distract us into focusing on ourselves and our own shortcomings instead of focusing on Jesus and his provision for our sins. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And one of the most effective ways he does that is through guilt and condemnation, which keep God's children from experiencing the freedom and joy we have in Christ. So I think a quick summary of that could be that conviction drives us toward God in repentance and condemnation drives us away in shame. Mm -hmm. uh, but Ginger, what about those who have confessed, they've repented and received forgiveness of God, but they still just can't seem to shake guilt? So those who know God has forgiven them, but they still struggle to walk in that freedom. Guilt from sin that has already been confessed and atoned is guilt that is based on a lie, like I just said. And it can only torment those who refuse to believe and accept the finality of the work of Jesus at Calvary. 
Okay, so how do we combat that lie then and walk in freedom? Just like we combat any spiritual battle with the sword of truth. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So sweet mama, when you're struggling with guilt and shame and condemnation for things you've already confessed, pray verses like this. Romans 8 verses 1 and 2 are also great for battling guilt and condemnation. Pray these verses out loud with boldness and authority and thankfulness that Jesus has already won the battle and that you are a forgiven child of God. And you know what? Let's just go. I talk about praying. Let's pray these verses right now. Mm. Thank you, Almighty Father in heaven, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Lord Jesus, apart from you, we are nothing. We are unworthy, but worthy, worthy, worthy are you, the spotless Lamb of God. Jesus, you have covered all of our sin and absolved us from all guilt. You have cleansed us and clothed us in your righteousness. Thank you that we are no longer bound in chains. We are your children who have been set free by your mercy and grace. We will walk in the freedom that you have so graciously purchased for us. We will rejoice and be glad in all that you are and the victory that you have already won. We love you, Jesus. It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now is the part of our show where we give a quick tip for parents. Today's quick tip is courtesy of Olivia in Pennsylvania, and Olivia says this. Hi, Ginger and Katie. My friend Angela and I both are encouraged by your podcast and are always chatting about it. We wanted to share a quick tip that we use together. To get a free night out, we do a babysitting exchange. Angela will babysit for my husband and me one night, and then I'll babysit for her and her husband another night. We always do it as a late date night after the kids are already in bed so that the person babysitting is just able to sit and relax. Hmm. I love this idea already. (laughs) Another way I've saved money with babysitting is getting a group of friends together and hiring a shared babysitter. Myself and two other families will plan for a babysitter to come for a few hours once in a while. We switch whose house hosts the kids each time, and we split the babysitter's rate three ways. It's a great way to seriously cut down on babysitting costs, plus the kids view it as a fun play date. I love that, and it also reminds me of something my friend Lisa and I did when we were in the homeschooling years. Our kids were pretty close in age, and we went through a season where both of us were just really getting burned out and needed a little bit of a break, and so for a season, uh, we switched Fridays of uh, actually homeschooling each other's kids. I just gave her my lesson plans. She gave me her lesson plans and we did the school and the playing and the lunch and and, and that gave both of us um, every other Friday a whole day off. That's really cool. I love that. We loved it. And the kids loved it. They looked forward to those Fridays getting to do all that together. That's neat. Well, listeners, if you have a quick tip for our show, we would love to hear from you. It can be any random tip about cooking, housekeeping, something you do with your kids, ideas for fun date nights with your spouse, anything at all. We would love to share your ideas on the podcast. Just go to gingerhubbard.com slash quick tips to submit those. Well, Ginger, for moms who might be struggling with that weight of guilt, can you please leave them with a final word of encouragement? The cure for guilt is found in Jesus because the cure for sin is found in Jesus. Sin and guilt were crucified on the same cross. Both have been atoned for by the blood of Jesus. 
When we set our attention and affection on the redemptive work of Jesus, our hearts become so filled with his love for us and our love for him that there's no room for guilt. In other words, we overcome guilt by residing in Christ. Thank you, Ginger, and thank you, listeners, for joining us today. If your church might be interested in hosting Ginger and me for a women's event or bringing Ginger in for a parenting conference, please fill out the contact form at gingerhubbard.com, and we'll get back to you with more information. Also on gingerhubbard.com, you can find Ginger's wonderful resources that will help you get to the heart of outward behavior and address it from a biblical perspective. Today, we're offering her book, Guiltless Living, Confessions of a Serial Sinner Captured by the Grace of God, at a 10% discount when you use the code parenting at gingerhubbard.com. This book also includes a seven-week study guide, which makes it a great resource for group or individual Bible study. Thank you so much for joining us today, listeners. We look forward to being with you again next week. Until then, may God bless you as you seek to reach the hearts of your children for the glory of God. Have you ever been at a total loss for how to explain to your kids some of the really hard things they've seen in our culture or in the news? Sometimes I resort to distraction, like, hey, who wants ice cream? (laughs) Because I'm just not sure how to rightly respond. This is why I'm so excited about a new podcast that is stepping in to meet that need. The podcast is called Concurrently. And each episode is full of practical help so that we can teach our kids how to develop news literacy and biblical discernment. To find out more, visit concurrentlypodcast.com and you can listen to new episodes of Concurrently every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. But here's what we have to understand. In measuring Measuring. We're going to measure. Mowage. <laughs> so you sounded like. Measuring is what we're talking about today. You know that uh, that movie is where I got Wesley's name? Is it really? It is. Well, it was spelled differently, though. I think he was Westley in The Princess Bride, but oh, that I liked Wesley. Hysterical. I love that movie. Mowage. Okay, well, well, that's going to have to go in the outtake so everybody knows that little tidbit. <laughs> Where Wesley of gender trivia, <laughs> spiritual godly name there that I got go. from the scriptures. Yeah, it was the Princess Bride. <laughs> but here's what we have to understand: in measuring, I, just, <laughs> I can't do it. I, can't. <laughs> I got okay. Princess Bride on the brain. <laughs>